हेलो वेलकम टू द सेल्फ लर्निंग पॉडकास्ट बाय डॉक्टर सुषमा सिंह लेट अस स्टार्ट डिस्कशन ऑन यूनिट ट्वेंटी जेंडर एंड डेवलपमेंट द बायोलॉजिकल डिफरेंस बिटवीन मेन एंड वोमेन इज जनरली द बेसिस ऑफ डिफाइनिंग देम इन टू डायमेट्रिकली अपोजिट सोशल कैटेगरीज एज मेल एंड फीमेल एंड देयर एट्रीब्यूटिंग टू दैम the characteristics of masculine and feminine this sexual difference becomes the basis of many unscientific irrational and artificial differences between men and women the way these differences are produced and then rationalized is what is known as gender relationship thus while sex is natural and biological and one can do very little to change it gender is a socio cultural phenomena and hence changes it, its definition etc according to its socio cultural locale the pioneering feminist anne oakley has tried to state this in these terms gender is a matter of culture it refers to the social classification of men and women into masculine and feminine gender reflects the existing power relationship in any given society the power relations in society are of unequal nature where women are given secondary position to men what seems to be the way out what are some of the ways in which the solution to this massive inequality has been sought to be overcome these are some of the issues that we shall deal with in this unit now let us discuss the point women and gender according to the historians of gender relations women has been given a lower socio economic and political status in social hierarchy their status is determined by the politically and economically dominant power which is quite often wielded by the men be it as an individual or as an group in 1974 cat millet in her book sexual politics defined this structure of power as patriarchy the way a girl child is socialized into accepting the powerful male authority has been one of the key themes of the sociologists and historians another pioneering feminist philosopher simon de beauvoir in her monumental book second sex tried to unreveal this aspect of our social life there have been therefore serious attempts to understand and as a marxist and a feminist would say 
to break the power relationship so that women could come out of their subordinated position to taste the freedom of opportunity, life and happiness. Patriarchal system impinges on every sphere of a woman's life. In modern economy, for example, women as women neither has easy access to the, the formal sectors of employment nor is there generally an equal wage structure for both men and women. That is, women were paid less than the men for the same job. They also lack access to space and institutions to express themselves. At home, from selecting a partner to planning the size of the family, one finds her power of decision making is quite often circumscribed by family, societal or community rules and norms. Finally, access to facilities of better health care and nutrition is also preferentially distributed. Women either as girl children or as pregnant women or merely as women do not get the required attention. This gets reflected in the rate of mortality and exposure to illness. In cultural arena too, from religious discourse to portrayal in media, women quite often are reduced to the role of what is called second sex or quite often treated merely as an object or a commodity. Now let us move to the next point, development and gender. Development has been differently defined as progress, positive change in the socio-economic position of the people, a community or a nation. In the third world and in most of the East white colonized countries, it was the demand for development and a future developmental vision that defined their movement for liberation. In India, for example, the nationalist leaders had already arrived at a consensus on the developmental path that the country would choose once it gets independence. The idea of self-reliance, both the ability to take independent economic decisions and follow independent path of development was shared by leaders across continents. The Marxist understanding of the primacy of economic basis of exploitation added an extra merit to such ideas. For the feminists who shared the Marxistian analysis as well as politics, therefore the idea of development was not something contrary to their basic program. If development was supposed to change the economic basis on which gender relationship was defined, then it was presumed that development was the 
preferred mode of changing those bases. It is therefore not a coincidence that large women's movements have never been anti-developmental. This vision of development was, however, not merely economic progress, but was closely related to the political expression of independence. Democracy was closely tied to this vision of independence. Democracy and democratic institutions, for example, as constitution framers of India thought, were the greatest guarantee of women's rights and well-beings. As experience has shown, it is the democratic system which has provided the women space to make their individual as well as collective voice felt. No wonder that we have found that the women's voices were quite strong in the movement of restoration of democracy in Latin America, Asian and African countries. The state occupied quite a central place in the developmental vision. First, it was the leadership of the anti-colonial movement which came to occupy the state apparatus and therefore there was some amount of a close relationship between the leadership, the state and the masses. Second, it was only the state which could have mobilized resources at such large quantum and therefore became quite crucial. Economic development and political development was quite often coterminous with the drive for modernizing the state, the society and its institutions. Equality, the legal rights of men and women and idea of citizenship were the key to such modernization. For example, in Egypt, it was Gamal Abdul Nasir administration which expanded the economy and brought large women workforce out of their traditional working environment, guaranteed them equal rights and since 1954 guaranteed equal wages. Similarly, in Tunisia, where it was the modernizer and secular president Borghiguaba and in Iraq it was the Ba'ath Socialist Party which tried to bring about modernization by developing their economy. In India too, it was the state which initiated the first reform measure when after a lot of debate and discussion it reformed the Hindu Succession Act in 1956 in which women were given equal right of inheritance. There were two predominant strategies for development followed by the less developed and ex-colonial countries. First, there was a sense of urgency in correcting the disarticulation affected by the colonial countries. 
creating an industrial base for the future industrial and economic activity in this sense was a natural outcome. This prioritized the heavy industry sector and an important import substitution strategy. In many countries like India, Egypt, Iraq, Pakistan and even in Iran, it was the state which initiated the supervised the entire activity through the planning resource mobilization as well as resource distribution. The second strategy adopted was export-led growth, followed mainly in smaller sized countries. It entails a close linking with the global economy and specializing in the goods and services produced for the world market. This was followed mainly in the East Asian countries, Israel, Morocco, Tunisia, etc. Korean economy which was even in the 1960s was a sleepy economy could get into the dynamic fold and made huge strides. Now let us wind up the session and take rest. Thank you very much for engaging yourself with the self-learning podcast.